0: The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Bear Blends. Bear Blends are dedicated to producing the healthiest protein powders and unique nutritional powders. They use only natural and organic whole foods, and all of their products are non GMO and free of artificial flavors, colors, and sweeteners. My personal new favorite is their vanilla and coconut plant protein. Visit bearblends.com.au to learn more and check out their gorgeous recipe inspo over on Instagram at Bear Blends. Welcome to The Real Food Reel. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Allie McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? Real? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments? Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 182 of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance to explore how to overcome persistent overuse injuries. This episode is 100% relevant to all athletes currently injured or not, especially from a prevention point of view. You will learn about the hierarchy of athletic performance, the model of robust function, and how addressing bad, blocked... Leaked and deficient energy are all essential treatment and prevention strategies. We discuss the impact of inflammation, your food choices and gut health and speak to the significance of developing a team of practitioners who know how to look beyond the initial pain or injury site. Hi Katie and welcome back to The Real Food Reel. Thank you Steph. Let's get straight into today's topic, which is all things injury. So I'd love for you to set the scene for us, first and foremost. What do we need to be aware of from a prevention of injury point of view?
1: Yeah, it's super important. I think, first off, I don't want listeners to switch off if they don't currently have an injury. This is 100% relevant to uh, any athlete, whether it's sports, uh, like team sports related, endurance athlete related, um, short course, long course, this applies to all uh, and prevention is often missed and I, I do see a pattern where the athletes are diligent with pre-workout mobility or prehab and rehab exercises are the ones who have succumbed to overuse injuries well, general injuries in the past and have had the psychological impact of what an injury does to their training consistency and their I guess mental space when they can't train and do what they love Unfortunately I don't see um, athletes that are quite naturally uh, okay with taking load and don't tend to get niggles or injury taking the steps towards advancing their performance with prehab exercises for prevention. Uh, unfortunately, I do see it as a case of um, it's not if they get injured, it's when, if someone isn't taking precautionary measures to look after their body and not take it for granted. You know, the, the pressure we put on our systems with sport and endurance isn't natural most of the time. So we do need to respect what we're doing to our bodies um, and respect our own individual biomechanics um, and individual positions, which we'll talk about today, and recognise what they are and work with them, not against them. Uh, So when we're talking about injuries, there's obviously a big spectrum, um, but today's conversation will mostly be centred around avoiding overuse injuries, the ones that are most avoidable. We can't um, really talk about injuries such as um, that are incurred from accidents uh, as in falling bikes or getting knocked over and, and unfortunate events like that. So today's conversation will be mostly around preventing the, the overuse-style injuries that we see more, more commonly
0: yeah definitely, and prevention is so important because there's so many situations that are completely avoidable and hopefully by the end of our conversation today, our listeners will have a few light bulbs going off in terms of maybe what's happened to them historically and what they need to do um, to obviously have a plan moving forward. yeah
1: there's nothing more heartbreaking when an athlete has worked their butt off for six to twelve months in pursuit of a key race particularly the long ones such as half Ironman Ironman or multi-day events and the load becomes too much or something happens in the last say four to six weeks Mm. uh, where they get injured or the niggles uh, overcome them and they lose their training consistency and it is something avoidable and I just unfortunately I I do see it all too often Yeah. yeah And I'm passionate about it because uh, that's been me. And I've certainly lived through the complacency of taking my body for granted and and doing the the high-volume training and, quote-unquote, getting away with it until I didn't. And then doing the years of rehab and prehab and undoing the damage of those years. And so, yes, I come from an individual space of, being very passionate from my own personal experience which has you know dictated the professional development i've done and guided that and inspired it which i'm grateful for because then i can obviously help athletes in the same position um, because we know that for performance we need consistency and consistency doesn't mean that someone completes 100 percent of their program that is quite rare But we know that for optimal performance it does need to be at 80% or above Um, and injuries definitely inhibit that. And it could be injury that fully stops someone's um, ability to train or compete or it could be niggles and that's where that spectrum I was leading to earlier comes in that any niggle is still pain and inflammation that we need to pay attention to and not just go, oh, it's not too bad i'll just wait and see mm. and i think that we need to be paying more attention to those early red flags if you pay attention to the earlier flags you could be saving yourself six weeks off running you could or riding or swimming whatever your sport is um and it might just be a reduced volume for or off running for a week as i suppose to months um, that's the difference of paying attention early
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a really simple message that I'm sure is being neglected by many people. And it's the same as when we talk about health or the, you know, the absence of disease, your body obviously does speak loud and clear. It's just about the awareness. And I think, you know, if you're not so familiar with how to address it, that you can definitely educate yourself or um, seek help because, Yeah, the strategies that you implement early can save so much pain and frustration and and time and money and the list goes on. No, the list goes on. Like I think Mm. I was talking to
1: um, some athletes the other day about the side effect of wellness and functional movement and the principle we use at holistic endurance and one of those side effects is saving money because you're not seeing um, umpteen practitioners every month because your body maintenance is up to scratch Mm. yes we need um, practitioners for um, regular checkups and ensuring body maintenance but we don't want to be having to see practitioners every month or week um, multiple i mean to put out spot fires Um, it should just be about maintaining optimal performance with a you know a chiro osteo bio physio on on your team um as opposed to seeing all of those every month because the body's just putting out you're trying to put out fires left right and center um for me i definitely want my athletes to have a team and we'll talk about that um later on i'm sure but For me, as a coach in my professional development, certain people on my teams over the years to investigate my own injuries and niggles and propensity to just not deal with running very well has led me on this path of gaining knowledge from that team and being able to pass on to... Uh, my athletes and, and now. So the content I covered today, I just want to preface, is inspired and collated from a number of different individuals that we can direct listeners to if they want to do further reading and development themselves. So the hierarchy of performance and I guess the system that we need to as a checklist go through for injury prevention and um, injury rehab comes from a collation, or my perspective comes from a collation of three key people, which is Greg Cook from FMS or Functional Movement Systems, uh, Greg Day from Prepare to Perform and Mark Buckley from FMA. And the consistent theme across the board of those three systems is that there are priorities when it comes to functional movement and you have to earn your stripes mm. and what I mean by that is lay the right foundations um, and so to summarize it really nicely this is a, a principle from break day the hierarchies of performance come from four key elements positions patterns power and precision so four p's and positions is where we're looking at someone an athlete's mobility Do they get into the positions required to express the proper form? So let's say someone has a mobility restriction in their hip flexors and they're unable to execute an efficient hip drive while running or a full circular motion on the bike and that has a flow and effect to other parts of the body through compensation. So positions is our first hierarchy and point of call that we should be looking at do each of the areas of our body so ankle knees hips torso core shoulders and neck pass minimum standards of mobility and this is where athletes need to utilize practitioners on their team to have assessments to see where they might have um, mobility restrictions that are limiting the positions that their body can get into Because if the positions um, are correct, that allows for the next chain of hierarchy, which is the patterns, which control someone's stability or, or motor control. And so you can imagine if someone has limited mobility and that is then expressed as poor patterns, that might be a tight hip flexor on the left side causing a hip hike on the right Um, and a lot of lateral movement through the hip, which then might be expressed as knee pain or ankle pain. And so when looking at patterns, which is more common for, say, um, run technique coaches to look at, they'll be looking at someone's biomechanics and how they're landing or on the bike, what their form looks like. But really what we need to look at first is the positions which allow the patterns, so that's second hierarchy. And then once the patterns are corrected and we've got that form, we are able to express power. Mm. And without positions and patterns, we don't get power. And I think people are chasing power and performance gains without laying the right foundations or doing the work in the early stages. Um, so I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it with myself. It was super interesting when I changed a even my bike position using power output. Um, we tweaked my bike seat position by three degrees and had an exponential impact of 20 watts in a functional movement. Um, sorry, not functional movement, um, a functional power test. Um which was just fascinating because that new position allowed me to express the power. I had it, but I didn't have the opportunity to express it. We need to look at positions to um, unlock them before we can expect to express power.
0: Yeah, and just briefly, like, power obviously doesn't actually mean, like, just what's on a bike. Like there's so much more for an individual athlete as to how that translates into performance.
1: Yes. So power could be the um as you land your foot on the ground and how much power is expressed into the next foot strike. It could be as your hand enters the water to get catch um through the pull phase of freestyle. Uh there's lots of ways that power is expressed in squatting or deadlifting or even in a yoga position. The ability to express power and stability and balance comes from limiting your mobility restrictions and making sure your patterns are correct. Mm. After power comes precision because it's all good to have this ability to pre- um, express power, but if we don't have precision of movement, but this and this honestly comes more into technical sports and, um, say, contact sports, uh, or if you kicking a football and there needs to be a specific sequence of events for that um movement to be expressed. So that's where precision comes into it. There's less precision when we're talking about runners um and you know linear phase movement. Um but precision does come from what your form looks like, say when running and are you crossing over your body and what are your arms doing and where's your foot landing and are you rotating? Um, But most of those things are corrected when we look at positions and patterns first.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think the foundations are so important. And, you know, I know Greg Day's work from a personal point of view as well. And it is really about qualifying to move through certain phases. So I think, you know, especially A-type athletes, they're always wanting to, you know, jump ahead and, and do the sexy stuff where they um, can definitely be guilty of neglecting the basics. And it applies in a food sense too, definitely.
1: <laughs> 100%,
0: 100%.
1: And we had um, a good example recently. I had an athlete see Greg and very motivated to get better and be able to progress back to their running and riding and swimming they had done a back injury so it was quite difficult for them to do much other than their mobility and activation work which for an endurance athlete that's psychologically quite challenging and so they asked me can you write me a a rehab program i need to see the vision i need to see the plan long term of how it's going to get me from a to b to c and i said i can but in three to five days the plan will be irrelevant because the a rehab plan needs to be fluid uh, with what the body is showing up on any given day or any given week when you check in with a practitioner or you do your pre-workout mobility. Um, so yes, there can be a overall plan, but I think what athletes, you know, there's this sense of need for control, which I totally get. So focus your need for control or want for control on what you can control, you can't control the future outcomes in 10 to 12 weeks, but you can control what you put in your mouth, how you recover, um, limiting exposure to toxins and stress and doing the mobility work day-to-day and laying the foundations, focus your energy on those controllables and the rest will take care of itself um, as a, a nice progression. And I think the biggest inhibitor or the greatest common inhibitor of either rehab progression or someone uh, being inhibited by an injury and getting injured in a a training block is this need and desire to move quickly, rest too fast and have it all now where we really need to just um, give respect to the foundations and then allow um, the results to come thereafter with um progression it's just tiny steps forward every day that accumulate like compounding interest in a bank account um whereas if you're constantly making withdrawals and your bank balance is going up and down you're not going to earn as much compounding interest so we just need to keep the money in the bank keep banking up your um robustness essentially And then the results come thick and fast once you've laid those foundations um, sufficiently as opposed to kind of half-assing it and going, oh, I feel semi-good, I'm going to defy the plan today and just see what my body does. Um, And more often than not, that certainly doesn't work. And I understand the propensity to do it. I'm currently in a technique phase um, working on retraining my run form to avoid injuries long-term. And there's there's so much desire just to bust out a run without having to do the technique work. But at the same time, I have to take ownership that if I did that, I'm risking, you know, three steps backwards when I could just take half a step forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, again, I completely agree. And I think it's a really important concept because it is that, that, that process really like, I might be jumping ahead, but I wonder how you would educate someone to adjust what is a plan for their treatment per se because it is evolving so daily.
1: Yeah, you were just breaking up there. I missed it. So we was the question where would we start and what would we look at if someone is going through an injury and niggle?
0: Um, Just more from a program point of view. You mentioned that you know the the athlete that asked you to write them a, pro- a plan, but the plan would be null and void in a few days. Like, how do you then educate what they need to do if it's evolving so much? And they obviously can't follow like a twelve week plan for something like that.
1: Yeah. So it's about educating on the principles, um which we're, I'm sure we'll get into of robust function, and mm-hmm. for them to look at the key areas of what equates to a robust athlete because a robust athlete has good energy, um, it's unblocked and it's flowing and it's abundant and in that presence we've got very minimal injury risk, especially if it comes to overuse injuries. Um, So it's education on those elements of what they can control to let the rehab process then take care of itself and when I say rehab process take care of itself I mean follow what your practitioners whether it's your coach your physio your sports doctor has prescribed and then do the elements around that whether it's mobility work activation um action steps to reduce inflammation
0: like infrared saunas and nutrition and gut health etc yeah cool does that answer that yeah definitely absolutely and i think that's really good because it's a bit like um i don't know i the analogy i think of is like a meal plan right so i don't actually love them because they only teach what is in that meal plan they don't teach principles that the person can take away when that meal plan ends so that's why at TNN we talk about building the plate and we spend the time talking about macronutrients and you know detail that some people probably don't expect that they need to know but there's reasons why so that again it's the principles like you say from a rehabilitation point of view so they can apply it based on the day and obviously the requirements
1: Yeah, and I think the motivation for you and I in different fields but comes from the desire for someone to be uh, metabolically efficient long-term or injury-free long-term, not just get them through this hurdle or challenge of the next six weeks. You know, we want to set them up with the principles and foundations that they can use throughout their whole life
0: or pursuits of endurance sports. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So let's go there. Let's talk about being a robust athlete. Again, this is
1: uh, beautifully surmised from Greg Day, um, Mm -hmm. which has come from his learnings from Greg Cook and the Functional Movement Systems principles. Um, So I will link you to a diagram for this Mm -hmm. for listeners um, and an article that explains it in more depth. But when we look at robust function, there are four elements we need to check if there is bad energy, blocked energy, leaked energy or deficient energy. If any of those are apparent, there tends to be compensation and dysfunction which leads to injuries and other issues. It might not just be injuries. I should preface that it could just be um, a performance handbrake that the, the bad, blocked, leaked or deficient energy Is creating. So someone might not be progressing as they would like with their math pace or their race pace and it might have something to do with these four elements. It's not just about injuries or niggles. Um, So to define those a little bit further, when we look at bad energy that's classified as pain, inflammation, toxins and poisons more often uh, the most common in this space is the pain and, and inflammation. And I think that's probably the most important thing I've learned more recently actually only in the last two to three years of that pain being inhibition and whether it's a, a one to two out of ten on the pain scale or an eight to nine out of ten on the pain scale, there is a degree of inhibition which changes our positions and patterns and that hierarchy of performance. And that's what we really need to pay attention to first. So let's say someone skipped um, correcting that bad energy and they just tried to work on blocked and leaked. They're going to keep coming back and I guess playing the same loop over and over and over because they haven't addressed the first foundation of bad energy. And this is where the combination of your work and our work works so well for athletes where you address gut health, nutrition and detoxification um, to assist in reducing pain and inflammation. Because, yes, there could be pain from an injury, but that pain and inflammation might be exacerbated from those other factors with gut health and, and nutrition.
0: Yeah, and I think so often it is. We live in this world where I think pain and inflammation are looked at, you know, obviously when they arise and they're treated with things like, which are important, obviously massage, I think, or, you know, there's different practitioners, but I don't think that a lot of people are aware of where it comes from, (laughs) you know, and obviously the other elements that we'll talk about in terms of, you know, the function of the body is really important. But if you're eating inflammatory foods, how do you expect your body to recover? And you know, obviously there's a huge flow-on effect to what happens to your gut bacteria and you you often lose the ability to down-regulate inflammation. So it's a vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, I've definitely uh, seen it in athletes more so with um, not addressing gut health in particular and they can do all the work, the rehab, the physios, the, the osteos and the chiros, but they just, it keeps playing the same loop because they haven't addressed that core foundation of, of why the inflammation is riddled throughout their body. And I'm sure you've seen mm-hmm. it with clients as well.
0: Yeah, it's a really important conversation to have because it kind of goes back to what you were saying at the start. You know, there are athletes who, you know, maybe of a certain age, definitely the younger male who is naturally more robust who might not be taught to think about the importance of managing inflammation from an internal standpoint and you know my my fear is that they find out the hard way as they get a little bit older and they don't have the same tolerance or you know whatever factors are going on in their external world when a lot of this if it's treated as the foundation if athletes are taught this or if the coach can pass the information on to the you know, to their soccer team or whoever it is, there's, you know, there's so many, um, so many powerful outcomes of that and and situations that can be avoided.
1: Oh, I know the potential of of avoiding these issues is just so great. Um, And I try not to think about it too much because it does get me very passionate and therefore or then I get upset and frustrated because like, oh, I just want to shake these people, we can do better. Um, we can do better for our bodies and as coaches we can do better for the industry and I think we all need to step up and, and work as teams with um, our, the practitioners that we have available and sports doctors, etc., cetera, um, and to help athletes. Um, the I lost my train of thought there for a second, but the bad energy with pain and inflammation um, oh that's right what I tend to get athletes to focus on when they do have a flare-up of a niggle or an injury because it can be a little bit distressing and can mentally throw an athlete off which I totally get so coming back to that conversation of control the controllables put your energy into focusing on okay what food do I need to eat to assist with reducing this inflammation. Mm. Um what do I need to increase my bone broth or probiotic foods or increase turmeric or vitamin C and talk with a practitioner if you're not sure, but um and i.e. Steph, and mm-hmm. get a protocol so while rather than focusing on the negative, I can't run, I can't swim or whatever and getting into this negative feedback loop, focus on the positive and go, right, well, this week's focus is to reduce as much internal inflammation as possible, give myself the opportunity to rehab um, faster when given the okay from my physio
0: or doctor to start running again, etc. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, athletes are notoriously time poor. So the ball that gets dropped first is food prep, right? So then when you're not able to do as much training, you've got more time. So you can get in the kitchen and then, you know, what you can really do is is shift the focus and and do some more prep and, and plan ahead for when you do get back to training and your time is poor again.
1: Yeah, and that's just the beauty of reframing. It's like you can see injuries or niggles as an opportunity. Uh, And I understand how challenging that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's obviously going to be a work in progress, especially if you're fairly new to looking at things like broth. Like, I mean, broth is the number one. I think, you know, all athletes need to be consuming it on a daily basis. And it's definitely something that can be increased. It's, you know, it's naturally rich in glutamine and collagen and gelatin. And these are all our healing nutrients that, then aren't coming from a, a pill. It's obviously in a food source that really supports your gut health as well. You pop some turmeric in there and it's the perfect anti-inflammatory.
1: Which is another great point that you don't necessarily have to reach for the prescription anti-inflammatories straight off the bat. They okay. have their place in, mm. um, at times, but um, in the case of, you know, surgery or severe injury, etc. But when we're talking about meals and... Um, just acute pain or inflammation. This is where taking health into your own hands can be so valuable with the powers of, of food and looking after your gut. Um, because um, yeah, I'm sure you've probably covered it on the show, like NSAIDs and, and prescription drugs and the impact on the gut. Then mm. um, only precipitates the problem down the down the path.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the biggest things that, you know, constant use of anti-inflammatories and and Panadols and Nurofen completely depletes your E. coli levels. And for a lot of people, how it initially manifests is poor ability to clear lactic acid. So we get that really sort of fatigued feeling in, in in the working muscles. And lactic acid is obviously going to be a huge performance limitator um, but but it can be really inflammatory as well. So then we're spinning our wheels again.
1: Mm. And you guys look at those E. coli levels and um, the balance of of lactate in the bio screen.
0: Yeah. yeah. So the bio screen fecal microbial analysis is, is something that I encourage all my athletes to do. Not not just for the presence or or the um, prevention of injury, but I mean that's where your optimal health and wellness starts. So that is the building block for performance and whatever you want to do in your athletic endeavors. Um, and like, I think there's just too much guesswork without it. So obviously, yeah, we can pop some, um, some previous episodes, but I've also got, you know, articles on the natural com that are you about by a screen. So definitely important to to learn more about if it's not something you've heard us talk about before.
1: Yeah, and anecdotally, like the athletes that i have worked with yourself and then um, that we've trained to say big events like Ironman, I just see such a vast difference. You know, they almost pinch themselves. They're like, how do I feel so good? Mm. Um, I'm not used to this. You know, I'm in the, my peak training phase. Yes, I've got um, training fatigue, but I'm not exhausted. I'm not able to – I'm still able to function and do my job and not be um, – I do not swear <laughs> – and uh it's yeah it's like we've accepted that you it's okay or it's normal to feel rotten in the pursuit Mm. of these big events it doesn't have to be that way and i think that conversation around um pain and inflammation is is the key because that brings us to being able to then if we've addressed pain and inflammation One, the body's going to be able to express itself properly and we move on to the second foundation of of robust uh, performance, which is looking at blocked energy, which links into the hierarchy of performance I mentioned earlier around getting into positions. So uh, blocked energy comes from limited or asymmetrical mobility and um, that could be any part of the body i've seen it as you know there's always going to be multiple mobility restrictions it's very rare that we just show up with with one um and for example i think it's important to pay respect to how the body works in that an ankle mobility restriction on the right side could show up as problematic on the on the left shoulder and that's I guess my view of functional movement and everything I've learned over the years is we can't be so insular or focused on where the pain is. That doesn't mean that's where the issue is. So a good practitioner should take you through um, a mobility assessment to look at where you might have blocked energy and see if that's what's contributing to your pain or injury. And, then from a prehab or preventing injury point of view, mobility exercises should be a non-negotiable part of your training. Whether you do that through regular yoga classes or you do it as um, five to ten minutes of mobility work before each session, I think this is where athletes are missing out on massive gains by not doing regular mobility work because that's going to just create more blocked energy.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It's not optional. (laughs) It's not something that you, you know, squeeze in if you can. Like I think it's Mm -hmm. just, it's something that you have to accept. Like your food prep, you have to look for, you know, key mobility parts of the week but like how would you advise people fit it in from a time management point of view like it's not necessarily a whole like session is it
1: no um it just needs to become an athlete norm rock up to training 10 minutes early and get it done Mm. um so let's say an athlete currently isn't doing any warm-up or mobility and they're already time poor can understand that it can be hard to see how it's possible to fit in 10 minutes. But once you get into a new routine and new habit and create a new normal, you won't look back. Um, so if that means you shorten your main set by five minutes um, to make it happen and just start with five minutes of mobility, then that's what you've got to do if you're that time poor. Or Uh, look for five minutes in other ways throughout your day or integrate it into your day. If you've got young kids, integrate the mobility through play on the floor or at the playground after school. You don't have to do it in a structured environment if that's not what's going to work for you. So definitely find what works for you and your schedule and your lifestyle. For me, uh, we've set up um, a little mobility station at the house, so it just becomes our regular routine to start there every day. Um, All the bands are set up, the mats are there, so it's easy and it's not this big rigmarole to to make it happen. And if you don't have, uh, say, somewhere to set up bands or mats, you can uh, use... Fences and outdoor light poles, or I strapped a band to like the handle on my boot um, to do pre uh, pre swim mobility before an ocean swim. There are always ways to get it in. It's just about prioritizing it. Um, and honestly, if you're like if your day is planned to the minute and you don't see where you can get another minute in. I would sacrifice 10 minutes of sleep to get an additional mobility work in for the the flow-on effect of,
0: of longevity in sport for sure. I'm sure we can all find 10 minutes that we waste on Instagram that can be allocated to mobility work, myself included. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yes. Ah, Nobody I, is that busy.
1: <laughs> I know, but I do hear it. I, and mm. I think that's why I'm being <laughs> I'm so particular about it is that's the most common I hear. I don't have time to do mobility before my workout. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have time to be injured? Because yeah. what would you prefer? That's yeah. what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and I think again, like you know, some of us have learned the hard way, so we try to, you know, obviously prevent that happening in someone else. Unfortunately, they don't always learn until it's too late. Which it it sucks that it has to happen that way. But like our athlete that we were talking about earlier, they learn, and they will. Like you know, it's rare to make the same mistake again.
1: Yeah, I know it's it's a hard message to get across when someone mm. hasn't had um, that experience before and maybe they just do need to experience it for themselves so they get that buy-in long-term and don't want to feel that way ever again. Mm.
0: Yeah, look, I think the space is, is changing as you would have seen, like, you know, definitely, you know, we're talking about all sports here, but just to talk about triathlon, which is obviously your world, um, as you would know very well, it was all about just the the kilometres and and the the intensity and that whole sort of ego driven approach. Whereas there is a lot more of a holistic focus these days, and obviously conversations and education and people like yourself and and your mentors that that allow us all to you know you, you have to be living under a rock to not recognise the importance of having that holistic approach. You might not be yet taking it all on board, but I guarantee you it's on your radar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess, you know, thinking about it now, the first thing, if we talk about, say, the running industry or triathlon industry, where it needs to start is if you're a coach or a club running sessions at a given time, get athletes into the habit, make it compulsory that they do mobility activation and warm-up as part of the session before you go into a smash first if that's mm-hmm. what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it needs to start because they're the leaders in the industry and it filters down to the individual athletes doing the work. Um, and I know when I work with uh, athletes one-on-one that come to us for rehab help or injury or just a general performance pro- program and they might do group sessions, that's one of their limiters. They, they say they feel they don't feel comfortable uh, doing the mobile and the activation on their own. It make, makes them feel, say, isolated or excluded from the group because they're the only one doing it. And so if we can all band together to make this a habit and a regular part of our world, it's going to be the norm. Um, mm. And who doesn't want to make sure that our, our friends and training comrades are able to meet us at the track or on the road every week because
0: they're not injured? Yeah, definitely. I think so much, you know, it comes back to education, but as I'm sure you'll agree, there's, there's that ownership ownership on the individual as well. Like mm. you've got to, you've just got to acknowledge the importance of it and find a way to make it work. It can't just be on your coach to remind you. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> Don't <care about> <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Um, It's an interesting one. It does. Mm. Like I think a a coach or a practitioner or an expert can guide you, give you the information and the principles and help you get into a habit and monitor that. After that, it's on you. Step up and make it
0: happen. For sure.
1: Um, I know there have been times where I haven't and I've just wanted, I've been defiant. (laughs) It's like I just can't be bothered. But at the same time, I take full ownership for the consequences. So, okay, I chose to defy what I should have done um, at that time. This is years ago when I was not so smart. Um, I just wanted to take ownership. I was like, well, I'm defying what my physio wants me to do right now. I have to accept the consequences of this. Um, And obviously over time I stopped doing that because I saw that it did not work out well.
0: Yeah, beautiful. All
1: right, where to next? <laughs> so from so we've recapping we had bad energy, which is the uh, pain and inflammation, then we had the blocked Im- energy, which is limited mobility. Now we moving on to leaked energy, and this relates to someone's stability and motor control and so when there's a symmetry or altered biomechanics, uh, we see leaked energy so someone might have cleared all their mobility restrictions um, and corrected what was there but some issues with leap in energy remain and so this might come into as an example the sequencing of muscular activation so over the years there might have been some poor patterning uh, so whereby the hamstrings and the hip flexors have taken over when the glutes need to be doing more work that's a common example that comes up for a lot of people Um, And so we need to retrain those patterns uh, to formulate energy that is flowing as opposed to leaking. Um, And leaked energy can be from uh, a lack of strength or a lack of activation. So someone might have the strength in a given muscle, but they're not able to express it due to poor activation or sequencing. Um, and this is where there's a place for, say, clinical Pilates, clinical physio and rehabilitation to get that sequencing into effect or have a program that once you've learnt those patterns and movements that you can bring into your daily training environment on a regular basis and then just check in with a practitioner every four or six weeks for progressions or, um, yeah, for progressions.
0: <laughs> yep, definitely.
1: Um, When linked to energy, we're looking at doing exercises um, that, so like calf raises or step ups or um, glute bridges and clams and um, uh, scapular retraction. I'm just thinking on the spot here. So anything that facilitates activation for the movement that you're about to complete Uh, so for example i might get my i do get my athletes to do pre-swim mobility which is very and what's rare you don't see swim squads often using bands and doing dry land warm-up which i highly recommend again you only need to spend five to ten minutes and i've seen you know i've done 14 years in the sports there's not many swim squads where there's Um, In fact, there's none. There's no swim squads that don't have some fluffing about and chit-chat beforehand. There's plenty of time to fluff about and chit-chat while doing some mobility work, 100%. Um, Sorry, I digress. So let's say you're going to a swim session. If you can do the pre-mobility and activation, you're going to um, work through, say, your retraction of your shoulder blades and get better lat activation. That's going to transfer into better force production in the pool rather than just expecting our body to suddenly wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and express power straight away. So it will lead to better performance um, as well as preventing injury. So let's say an athlete does have leaked energy because of asymmetry from an injury. They might need to do additional rehab on the given side that is weak or leaking energy, um, compared to the other side. And that's where individual case studies and programs come into it and seeing a a practitioner one-on-one.
0: Yeah. I think that's really important to get the support because it can be a little bit overwhelming to try and work out the priorities. And Mm. that like, I just don't want that to be a barrier. And I want someone to be like, Oh, I know how am I supposed to know whatever it might be. I think an assessment is a really great place to start even without injury.
1: Oh, absolutely. And Um, yeah if I haven't stressed that enough this is about working with the team and I can put some links on, uh, give them to Steph for this show about where to find functional movement practitioners that can run what's called an FMS um, which is an assessment to look at your mobility um, but also your motor control to find out where you might be leaking some energy and then develop a program um, to correct that and work with your uh, weaknesses I guess or where your Red flags are and they will change and evolve. So it's important to, to check in as well.
0: No, um, I love that idea. As an investment, I think that's a great place for everyone to start. If you've never had a full functional movement screen, then yeah, let's link up um, practitioners so you can simply search someone in your area that can help you. It's a great place to start and definitely a perfect preventative strategy.
1: Immensely. And FMS is a global system. So this mm. is worldwide. Um, and then so I've educated myself in that system so that I can talk to physios, osteos, strength coaches who uh, have the same qualifications. We speak the same language and therefore working as a team to help that athlete becomes much easier and it's more fluid and we understand um, the, the process of the assessment that they've completed and what it means. Uh, so, yeah, it works really well as a team. So if you're a coach or a personal trainer or a clinician, I think it's a great system to get educated on whether you use it in your practice or not, but to then have the ability to communicate amongst a team of professionals, uh, I just think it's a, a, no, a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, amazing. I love that.
1: Um, I did not mention this, but leaked energy for those um that have laid the right foundation, so have the functional movement or mobility to uh, do strength training would be a crucial part here as well. But again, it's the same as swim, bike, run. Uh, you do need to earn your stripes and I, for example, wouldn't recommend that someone load up a back squat if they don't have the correct movement pattern to get into the squat position, it's just not going to be appropriate, um, and it's going to um, just lead to more issues. So, yes, I 100% advocate for strength training, but the same applies earn earnest straps and make sure you've got the mobility and the stability to perform those movements. There's always re- regressions, you know, like let's say you can't get into a full squat. There are other movements you can do to develop that squat strength and pattern so that you can eventually um, do a full back squat for the development of power and performance.
0: Yeah, it's all about those building blocks and making sure that you're, you know, moving through each stage and and qualifying to progress.
1: Yeah, qualifying is a great word and I, I do... You know, I, I know I sound a little bit repetitive with this whole lay your foundations, but I'm saying it over and over again because I see this issue time and time again and mm-hmm. it's just not being heard. So mm. forgive the,
0: the mini <laughs> The message okay. is loud and clear, okay? <laughs> um, and then our final
1: element of robust function is looking at deficient energy and This is where we look at weakness, inhibition and fatigue, which can happen with a multitude of things. It can be because you're peaking and you've got a high training load Um, and if that's planned, then we need to ensure that your recovery protocols are matched with the increased in training load. So you do more recovery with higher training. It might be because someone's in an adrenally deficient state or dysfunctional state. It could be a thyroid issue. Um, It could be chronic inflammation and pain, um, trauma. There's lots of elements that fall into this deficient energy or it can be more micro on a day-to-day level where you've had limited sleep or poor sleep, um, where you haven't had enough food or the right food at the right time. So you could be getting, um, doing all the right things to ensure you don't have bad energy, blocked energy or leaked energy. But if you don't complete that fourth pillar of deficient energy, you're still going to limit your robustness. And deficient energy, there's, if we're talking a- responsibility of athlete and coach, um it's responsibility of athlete to take ownership of reporting their metrics. So letting their coach know if their sleep patterns have changed, or tracking their sleep and reporting on that, the quantity and the quality. It's the ownership of the athlete to report um, an increase in fatigue or pain or inhibition. And then it becomes the responsibility of the coach to respond to those metrics. Mm. Um, and modify a program or provide opportunity for recovery or education around recovery protocols to uh, prevent that deficient energy.
0: Yeah. All to do with communication, I think. Like, we're all adults, but for some reason in a, in a sort of client-practitioner relationship, there are some people that I think approach things I don't know if the word's differently, but I just feel like sometimes they put all the the ownership or the responsibility on the practitioner, which I think is really unfair. Like we're all humans, but I also think, you know, we've got to acknowledge that we have to take a lot of ownership for our own health and, you know, communication is the number one tool that we have with our practitioner, whether it's our, you know, our run coach or our soccer coach or it's our osteo, whoever that is, I think that there's a lot to be said for efficient communication because things can be adjusted accordingly before it gets too late.
1: Yeah, it's a huge message and um, I think what I've noticed with athletes and practitioners that do this well is we BCC, sorry, CC each other in email communication. So when one of my, I refer an athlete, to a physio they cc me in the initial consultation report or i for example when our clients see you we get cc'd into the notes it's a really simple thing um because one thing that isn't on the athlete is um i don't feel the onus is on them to know all the, the uh terminology and they have the education to understand the uh a lot of the mechanics behind what a practitioner is reporting on. Mm. That's the professional's job. And the professional then translates it to the athlete. So when an athlete is trying to report back to their coach or practitioner, they might not have the full picture. And so I think clinicians, coaches, practitioners all need to be communicating with each other while the athlete is also communicating to us um, and CCing us into emails. An athlete might say, um, I did rehab program three times this week. This is what I noticed. Um, Coach, do you want to make any changes? Physio, should I progress this? Mm. And keep the conversation going after that initial consultation and we see the progress become more consistent when that
0: communication is open. Yeah, definitely. 100% agree. I think that's so important in many situations, including with your nutritionist, hint, hint. (laughs)
1: yes um one thing we didn't mention is a big part of uh, injuries is being patient Mm. and understanding that there is no set timeline you can be given a guide but the body doesn't work that way um so all you can do is Take the opportunities to control what you can, doing the work, mobility, reducing stress, reducing inflammation and managing pain. Do those elements and be patient with the plan. And it will, if you're patient and you just err on the side of caution and stick to a plan um, and communicate along the way. I've just seen it pay off. Um, in spades like it's lay the right foundations and you that robustness pays off you can um, rather than one step forward and fall back I think that's the biggest takeaway message
0: yeah absolutely so powerful I think you know there's obviously a lot of takeaways but definitely guys I I can't or we can't encourage you enough to lay those foundations and and slow and steady wins the race
1: yeah it does and reach out to if you've already got a team, maybe you take away from this podcast and go, right, I'm going to step up and be more open and um, encourage communication between my team mm-hmm. or perhaps your takeaway is that you want to implement a um, mobility protocol. If you've got a coach, ask them. If they're not um, qualified in that space, speak to like a personal trainer, strength coach, physio, or, some, or coach like myself with the, that background um, but they would probably be the two key areas that athletes can can start straight away,
0: yeah, absolutely awesome katie i've um really enjoyed this conversation. There'll be so much more in the show notes for those that want to learn more and um, definitely encourage everyone to get in touch with you as well because your knowledge in this space has helped me over the years, and I know that you know you being able to incorporate that in someone's training program is just that, that whole picture and that holistic approach, which is so important. Thank you. I appreciate it. No problems. Thanks for coming back on The Real Food Reel and we'll talk to you again very soon. See you later. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favour? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel.